0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Good morning, bro. Oh, thank you, Kate. Still waiting for some people. Take your time. to be here with you guys today. Uh, This morning, we will be continuing with our series, Jesus Said. And as I was getting ready for this sermon, I mean, this was a hard, convicting passage. You know, last week, you know, the sermon was, they hated me, they will hate you, right? That's not something you want to hear when you come to church, but those are true words of Jesus and I just remember going home feeling, wow, is that what it means to be a Christian, to be hated by all? And yeah, Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. Sorry to disappoint you, it's going to be another hard sermon uh, this morning. In 2011, I think this was New Year's Eve, I was like, Okay. My life was crap last year, I got to get my stuff together, it's a new year, what can we do to get better, what books can we read? And then a family member recommended a book to me called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. Has anyone read it? Great book. Well, I was looking for a book that was going to make me feel good, but that book did the complete opposite for me. (laughs) Because in Not a Fan, (laughs) he talks about there are two followers of Jesus. There are fans, and then there are followers of Jesus, disciples. And so he defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. Right? We love the Seahawks. We have, you know, we have fans or any sport that you support. You know, we admire certain players. And, he's, and he said, as Christians, we do the same with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want fans. Jesus wants followers. And when I finished reading the book, I was like, okay, I feel crap because I think I'm a fan. And I was like, wow. And what I realized was... Most Christians are fans of Jesus, and only a few are followers. And then Daniel said, Ibrahim, I want you to preach on Matthew 16 and 24. And when I read it, i was like, oh crap, why did you have to give me a hard passage to preach on? Because it reminded me of that book. So the title of my sermon this morning is, Are You a Fan or a Disciple of Jesus? Let's pray as we start. Jesus, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill this place, to convict our hearts that the words that I speak will not be my own words, but yours, and that it's not easy to be a Christian because of some of the things that you demand for us, but it is the most rewarding thing we can ever do with our lives and so open our hearts to receive this message and also convict our hearts in Jesus name amen, amen. so matthew 16:24 this is a short and sweet passage matthew 16:24 If you have your Bible, you can follow. Then Jesus said, then Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me." So what distinguishes a fan from a follower? Fans of Jesus, they don't deny themselves. They don't take up their cross. And they don't follow Jesus anywhere he tells them to go. Only disciples of Jesus do that. So we will look at these three things that Jesus is talking about. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to take up your cross? What does it mean to follow Jesus? That's what we'll be looking at this morning. So, self denial, which is the first, for the Christian means renouncing oneself as the center of existence and recognizing that Jesus is the new and truer center of your life. It means acknowledging that the old self is dead and the new life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, basically, self denying is. Taking you completely out of the way and replacing it with Jesus. It's not about you. It will never be about you. That's what Jesus is asking. And why self-denial? Why is that a characteristic of being a disciple? The simple reason is God wants our total commitment, right? God doesn't want half of you. He wants all of you. And you cannot be fully committed to God when you are distracted by other things that wants to take the place of God. It just doesn't work that way. Usually when I come home from work, I'm tired and I take my nap and my wife comes home and she's excited and she wants to tell me everything about her day and then she starts talking and I'm on my phone. Are you listening? Uh, yeah, see, I cannot be fully present with how while well, I'm on my phone, but if I put my phone down, I can listen to everything she's saying. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. I want all of you, put those things away so that we can talk, so that I can come into your life. And also, Jesus doesn't want to be the number one thing in your life. A long time ago, if you asked me, what are the three important things in your life? I would say, God, family, and soccer. And then I heard a sermon. And in the sermon, it said, you're wrong. You can't have God, family, and soccer. And I thought those were great things. I'm like, well, God is still number one, even though I don't act like it all the time. But I put him there, so I feel good about me. And family, soccer, those are important things. And the sermon I heard was, God doesn't want to be the number one. He wants to be everything. God wants to be God, God, and God, and God, and God, and nothing else. That's what self-denial is. And that was scary for me. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 22, there's a story of the rich young ruler. right? And this guy is very impressive. I'm going to read it. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get internal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You must not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy is doing really well. All this I've kept, the young man said. What do I still like? Jesus answered. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This guy had a great resume, but he wasn't given everything. And then, when Jesus poked the button that he didn't want pushed, it's like, ah, sorry, I can give my money away. I can be a disciple. I'm a fan, though. You're cool, but my money is still important to me. And he left. Self-denial, it's huge. And also, self-denial is a process, right? Because what happens with self-denial is, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should be no longer slaves to sin. Jesus wants all of us, but also sin wants all of us. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. It's like, don't let sin reign in your body so that you become slaves to sin. Here is Jesus saying, deny all of you. And sin is like, sin is good. I want all of you. But what happens is when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are crucifying your old self on the cross. And you're saying, Jesus, have all of me. And what does Jesus do? In Galatians 2 verse 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Because Jesus doesn't want any of you. Because on our own, we will just mess up the whole time. In Romans chapter 7 verse 15 to 17, Paul talks about his struggles of sin. Can we go to Romans 7? I have the whole 15 through 17? Okay, here's what Paul is saying. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is I, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me, right? The things that I want to do, I cannot do on my own. You know, growing up, I was a punk. You know, if I had to go back in time and look at the 8-year-old, probably 8 to, I don't know, 18 years Ibrahim, like I would be disappointed with me. And I had a strong mom who wasn't gonna take any of that. I got a lot of spanking because I didn't do this. The things that I'm supposed to do, I didn't do it, right? And my mom was like, boy, are you gonna get it? And I was like, uh, sorry, it's hard. And she would spank me. I was so bad that my mom, like in the morning before I went to school, I'd be like, okay, I'm leaving. She'd be like, come here. And my mom will spank me for not doing anything. And I'll say, why did you spank me? She said, when you go to school, you're going to mess up. And I won't be there to spank you. So I'm spanking you now for it. And then when I go to school, I will do something. And my friend will say, I'm going to tell your mom. And I'll say, she spanked me already. So we're good. I can just do it. But... That's me. That's us. The things we're supposed to do, we don't do because of the flesh, right? If you have a puppy dog, they do that too. No, don't do that. Hmm. And they try to do it. It's like, why do we do that? Paul is saying, that's the flesh. And that's the point Jesus is making. I have to come and clean the house. I have to take all over you because on your own, you want to go back to those things that you shouldn't be doing. That's what self-denial is. And that's why it's a core prerequisite for being a disciple. It's I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus takes the will. I love that song. And yeah, and... You give him control and reign and he leads you and helps you do what is right. That's what self-denial is. Fans of Jesus, they don't want to give up anything, everything for Jesus. And I'm not sure that I've given up everything for Jesus either because it is scary to say take everything and rule over me. The second point Paul makes is, to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross. That is a hard one. And that is one that I've struggled with throughout this week. For many people, they interpret taking up the cross as some burden they must carry in their lives. A strained relationship, a bad marriage, a job you hate, physical illness, But that's not what Jesus meant by taking up your cross. Christian view that the cross is a cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. But in Jesus' day, the cross meant nothing but torturous death. Any Jew in Palestine will know that the man condemned to the cross was often forced to carry their own cross a burden, a sign of death by the most powerful and humiliating means. You know, we read that in the Gospels. As Jesus is about to go die, he had to carry his own cross. That's what Jesus meant. So to take up your cross daily literally means willing to die in order to follow Jesus. Now, this is important, willing to die to follow Jesus. Peter struggled with this concept as we do today because willing to die to follow Jesus is not a price that most of us want to pay. And in Matthew 16, verse 21 to 23, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders The chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter is like, no, you can't die. You're our savior. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter. And then it was afterwards, it was in the next verse, which is our passage this morning, that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Death is a reality that many Christians around the world face as a cost of following Jesus. And Jesus is very explicit about that. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't sugarcoat it to make us feel better. And there are so many passages in Scripture that talks about us being physically persecuted for Christ's sake. And if you're taking notes, I'm just going to go through a few of them quickly. In Romans chapter 8, verse 36... Paul says, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Christ's sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then you can also read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10, Luke chapter 14 verse 26, and then Matthew chapter 10 verse 39. He who found his life will lose it, and he who loses life for my sake will find it. I come from a persecuted church, and this is a personal story that I'm gonna share. In Nigeria, most most Christians live in the southern part of the country, and then the Muslims live in the north. But because my grandfather converted to Christianity, I'm from the north, that's home. And it was in 2011, you know, it was a normal day. We went to school and I was being Ibrahim, probably bullying some kid. And then the principal came and said, everyone go home. we like, it's 11 a.m. And I was excited, it's like, oh, finally catch a break from school. But we had no idea what was happening. And I got my sisters, and we all walked home uh, together. But on our way home, we started seeing smoke. And I went to a Christian school, and the church that my school was connected to was on fire. And as we I kept walking home, we saw guys with guns and machetes And then that was when we realized, okay, we have to run home. And we did. And on our way home, everybody was trying to get home. And my dad was home uh, from the office. And we turned on the radio and they said, the whole state is in chaos. And what happened is, there were most of the northern states, because it was predominantly Muslims. They wanted Sharia law to be the law of the state. But in my state, the governor was against it because Sharia law is not fair for a Christian. And because the governor will not allow it, they decided to take things into their own hand. You know, the radicals had been preparing for a month and that day was the day they decided to go and persecute any Christian, uh, they knew. And they went to homes and burned homes and killed a lot of people. If you are a Christian, it was a bad time to be in the state. I had a lot of my neighbors killed from being a Christian. And the only reason me and my family survived that massacre was because our good Muslim neighbors surrounded our house and they said, you won't touch this family. They are good people. And that is the only reason I am alive today. God's grace. We had to leave home for probably two weeks because it wasn't safe. But after the two weeks was over, you know, things slowly started getting back to normal. And when we went to church, Uh, after that two weeks, you know, just catching up with members and see who made it and see who didn't, you know, one of my uncles didn't make it because when they came to his house, he managed to hide his family, but he was unfortunate uh, not to hide himself. And so they came to him and they said, well, if you want to leave, all you have to do is recount your faith. Curse Jesus, and you'll live. And he wouldn't do it. So, what did they do? They poured gasoline on him and set him on fire, and he died. And that verse meant something different for me. That verse meant literally if you want to be my disciple, like, you will die for my sake. The only crime of my uncle and many Christians who died during that crisis was because they were Christians. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to die. Now, that is something hard. Joel Alston will never say that in his church because half of the church will be gone. And I'm not sure that many of us here want to hear that you know in 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 the early church you know persecution was a given right and in the second century they didn't just want anyone joining the church if you said you wanted to be a christian you had to go through a six-month training program because in the early church being a christian meant at some point you will die for christ and when that time comes We want you to be ready. We want you to defend the faith and die with honor. And so they had this program they called the catechumen. It's, it's, you know, the believer, well, not a believer yet. You know, the person who wants to join the faith will go through this intensive uh, studies and they have to do all of these things before they get into the church. Today, we just said, raise up your hands. Yeah, you're in. Nothing like that, and that 's why we have a lot of fans today, but for them, it was different and I love one of the stories that i've read about uh, persecution in the early church. Ignatius of Antioch was one of the uh, early church uh, father. you know these are people that are not in the Bible, but these were people that knew the disciples and the disciples. Gave them the leadership after they all passed away. And if you're wondering how the disciples ended, they all died for following Jesus. And so Jesus meant what he was saying. Well, Ignatius, the bearer of God, was condemned to death by the imperial authorities for being a Christian. That was his crime. And since Rome was celebrating a military victory, they decided they will use his death to entertain people. Well, he goes to Rome. And, you know, when he was in prison, you know, they allowed Christians to come and visit him. But, and I just have to read this. You know, at one point, some, some Christian brethren were able to free him, but this is what he said, I fear your kindness, which may harm me. You may be able to achieve what you plan, but if you pay no heed to my request, it will be very difficult for me to attain unto God. He was saying, I know you can free me, but now." This is what God wants for me. This is what it means to be a disciple. So I'm gonna go through this. And then on the day of his death, this is what he said, I quote, so that I may not only be called a Christian, but also behave as such. My love is crucified, that is Christ. I no longer savor corruptible food, but wish to taste the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ and his blood. I wish to drink, which is an immortal drink. When I suffer, I shall be free in Jesus Christ and with him shall rise again in freedom. I am God's wheat to be grounded by the teeth of beast so that I may be offered as pure bread of Christ. This was a guy who was willing to die for Jesus with so much passion. I'm not sure a fan of Jesus will be able to say that and receive their persecution gladly and those are the people that Jesus wants. So you say, well, we live in America. Physical persecution doesn't happen. You're right. But Jesus only said, I want Christians who are willing to die. Jesus doesn't say, if you follow me, you will die. That's not for everyone, right? But here are some questions that you can ask yourself. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? But also, are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? And I had a wise guy uh, tell me, well, we don't have persecution in America, but here's a question you can ask the church. If Christianity was a crime and illegal in the U.S. today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about that question. But why taking up your cross? Because following Jesus is easy when life runs smoothly, right? Our commitment to him is revealed during trials. Jesus assured us that trials will come to his followers. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In the world you will face many tribulations. And then Daniel's sermons last week is, If they hated me, they will hate you for no reason. Therefore, discipleship demands sacrifice, and Jesus never hit that cost. Jesus doesn't want anyone to be a Christian. To be a Christian, he said, you must be willing to show me that you want to be a Christian by doing this things. That's what taking your cross is all about. And then the last part is follow me. Follow me. But following Jesus everywhere and wherever he leads you. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, you know, Jesus shares a story of three people who had good intentions about following Jesus. And I'm going to read it. As they were walking along the way, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's like each of these men wanted to follow Jesus. No, the first guy actually volunteers to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I have no home. And Jesus doesn't tell us how it ends, but we can guesstimate that he didn't follow Jesus because he probably had a home and you know was probably helping out in the farm. It's like, I can't be a homeless dude, and I can't, so uh, goodbye. And then the second appears to have an emergency that will delay his commitment for a time. It's like, I need to go bury my father. That is a legitimate reason not to follow Jesus at that point. But what does Jesus say? I don't care. Let the dead bury the dead. Because proclaiming the kingdom of God right now is more important than that. And then the last volunteer was ready to follow Jesus immediately but says, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus is like, no, you're not ready. Because if you want to follow me, you will drop everything right now and follow me. In each case, the commitment to follow Jesus seemed very sincere. And the level of commitment to me was very acceptable because if I was Jesus, I'd probably excuse those reasons, but I'm not Jesus. And Jesus knows what kind of followers that he wants. Jesus wants people like uh, John and Andrew who were fishing with their dad, and Jesus said, "Uh, you guys are doing a good job, but follow me you won't be fishermen anymore you'll be fishes of men what did they do they drop everything asked no question and they just followed jesus that is what jesus wants that is what it means to follow jesus you may be asking did jesus exemplify this mark of discipleship in his own life well let's start with the first self-denial There is a theological term called the kenosis and that comes from Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. And it said Christ made himself nothing by giving up his glory and taking the nature of a servant in human likeness. Jesus gave up everything. He emptied himself from his glory and power to become a human being. He denied himself and even on the, on the cross, what did he say? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus will not tell you to do something that he hasn't done for you yet. That is self-denial. Not my will, but your will. It's not about me. Jesus was giving everything to God. And then did Jesus take up his cross? I don't need to tell you that. Because you've read that story many times. It's a grueling story. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, what did it say? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So yeah, Jesus gave up his life for us too. And I think that's why he can say, give up your life for me too, if it requires it. So are you a follower or a fan? I think most of my Christian journey, I've been a fan of Jesus. Because after my uncle died and I heard that story, I kept asking myself, if they had asked me to recount my faith, will I have done it? And the answer is, I don't know. Until it happens to you, you don't know. But there is a reason the church, the early church, went through that rigorous process of uh, training Christians before they can be a part of the church. Because the early church, they didn't believe that if persecution came to you, that you can just make a decision and say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. Because the persecution was intense, burning you and feeding you to the beast. They believed that the Christians who are able to withstand the persecution are those ones that have been trained and have really loved Jesus and are willing to give everything for Jesus. And that's what I'm trying to do. I am trying to love Jesus with all of my heart so that when it requires it, I can faithfully stand with Jesus. So the last question I'm going to ask is, is it worth being a disciple of Jesus, given the huge cost? And Paul says it is. I'm going to close with Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know Christ because there is nothing better than knowing Christ. I want to love Jesus with all my heart because there is nothing better than loving Jesus. He did the same to me, and so I'm just... Doing the least I can. We will never love God the way He loved us, right? Greater love is somebody sacrificing themselves for others. That's what Jesus has done for us. But we can pay Him back by making Him everything, by loving Him with everything and giving up everything uh, for Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. We have failed to follow you in so many ways, and yet your grace abounds every day. Your mercies are new every day, Lord. Jesus, we don't know how to love you, and so we ask that you teach us how to love you. We ask that you will teach us how to be your disciples, your true followers. And we need your Holy Spirit, Lord, because on our own we can do any of that. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. with in the Christian community.